Welcome to Live from Studio One. I'm Emily Reese. Our guests this week are Minnesota musicians, pianist Larry McDonough and guitarist Joel Shapira. Those two are doing a project together in tribute of two famous albums from the 60s, recorded by pianist Bill Evans and guitarist Jim Hall. Now, Evans and Hall released Undercurrent in 1962, and in 1966, they released Intermodulation. So Larry and Joel will pay tribute to these albums at an upcoming show at the Black Dog in St. Paul. It's on Saturday, March 9th. And Larry and Joel came to Jazz 88 to talk about the importance of these records from the 60s and to play some live tunes for us. I'm Larry McDonough, and I'm a jazz pianist in the Twin Cities, and I direct a pro bono legal program for poor people during the day. Mm-hmm. And Joel? And I'm Joel Shapira, uh, Twin Cities guitarist, jazz guitarist, and uh, as I said, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people that are interested in my music. There, there is no shortage of... Uh, great music to listen to there's no shortage of like endless activities that occupy people's time Mm -hmm. energy and you know financial resources and all that so anybody that pays attention to my playing in this crazy world and whatever else and and you know let alone uh pays me a compliment or you know what 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 really i think means the most to me in that respect now is is like when I feel like I've done something that that kind of like soothes people, you know, like makes their life like more peaceful, makes their life more enjoyable, makes them love music, anything like that. So um, that that's 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 what my approach now to my career, um, like just um, <clears throat> excuse me. This project with Larry is uh, is a uh, you know a really really nice new kind of uh, cornerstone thing that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean projects. This is one that we, as I mentioned earlier, we had talked about for a number of years, a couple years. Like, well, we should do a Bill Evans gym, you know. And then we finally found the time, and I could not be more pleased with what has happened in a very short period of time. Thanks for having us in, Emily. I'm <laughs> very happy to. Um, you two do something pretty special, I think, in um, kind of recreating in your own way uh, a couple of really famous albums from the 60s with Bill Evans on piano and Jim Hall on guitar. So go ahead and talk to me a little bit about what inspired you to even try to do that in the first place, and then we can talk in a little more detail about those albums themselves. Well, I've loved these albums from when I was a kid. I didn't hear Undercurrent when it first came out because I was um, seven at the time. I was starting to listen to jazz by the time I was 10. Uh, Back in those days, you'd go to the public library and you'd uh, check out albums and bring them home and listen to them. So I was listening to Miles and Chet Baker, and I, I, I started listening to Bill Evans in that time frame as well. And I, so the first album of theirs I heard was the second one that they did was Intermodulation that came out in 66 when I was 11. And um, wasn't really thinking anything beyond just how cool it was to hear piano and guitar together because at that point being a kid, I, I really just thought of guitar as a rock and roll instrument. Didn't really th- have any perception of it as a jazz instrument. Mm. And, and hearing these two instruments played together 
the piano sounded like a guitar and the guitar sounded like a piano. I mean, it was it was so interesting how similar they sounded and how similar these guys played. And, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I was taking music theory from my trumpet teacher at the time, so I knew a little bit about structure, but I, I, I didn't really know just how interesting what they were doing. I just realized just how nice it sounded, how fun it was to listen to it. And then it was as I got older and, and got more into Bill Evans, I'd go back and listen to those recordings and by that time had uh, the, the 1962 recording as well and, uh, and really got to appreciate just the structure of it all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Jim? Uh, Joel. Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I, have more, I have more hair than Jim did. I like to, th- I like yeah. to think. Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> anyways, um, Larry approached me with this idea. I mean, we had talked about it off and on, I'd say over the course of a year or a couple years, and then you got to find the right time to do it when you have free time, you know, the proper mm-hmm. amount of free time to devote to, like, real preparation. And uh, so we, we got that together. As far as, you know, the records themselves, the two recordings, duo records, I had listened to them, um, you know, back when probably, I guess, when I really discovered them, um, I was living in New York City working working at Tower Records in, in Greenwich Village, and uh, of course, they had every jazz CD known to man, yep. which was a great resource. Yeah. So you know, I discovered uh, Undercurrents was the one that I that I first heard, and uh, it's kind of like what Larry was saying. I mean, there was a compatibility factor between those two musicians that was just kind of like meant to be, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 when when they played together. There was a level of uh, just listening and sensitivity that, you know, on, on revisiting them now for this project that, I, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty special. You know, I feel like at this point in my playing and, and my career and whatever, I understand the music, you know, in a completely different way. And I'm still enthralled by just the level of musicianship and and you know listening and and artistry between the two of them so that that factor alone is such great inspiration for this project you know and i think um larry and i have had how many public performances of this two 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 you know which is a, a small number uh the one that we did you know which was at the black dog in st paul I, I would have to say for kind of a debut performance, um, it was really exhilarating and it was, you know, it was well received. There was a very, very uh, thoughtful listening audience for that gig. Mm-hmm. And we got to try to tap into that kind of, uh, you know, level of interplay and sensitivity in front of an audience mm-hmm. uh, for that gig at the Black Dog. So again, Super inspiring, and I and I listened to Jim Hall, and I listened to Bill Evans, and uh, oh, and you met Jim Hall. I met Jim Hall several <laughs> times. I I used to actually I used to run into Jim Hall in New York City periodically when I lived there, <laughs> and I always tell Larry this yeah. the same story, you know, because it, it's just kind of a f- funny jazz story, music classic story. musician story, classic <laughs> musician story. And Jim Hall, I was you know I was I would have been in my twenties. 
And, you know, and, and Jim was a very recognizable guy. I mean, if you were a jazz musician, let alone a guitarist, you could spot Jim in a crowd, you know, and see him <laughs> walking down the street. And I would. And, of course, every time I'd see him, I'd like, hey, Jim, Mr. Hall, I've been listening to this and this and this. And honestly, I was I was super into his playing. So there was plenty of uh, there was plenty of things that I could ask him about and wanted to talk about and all that. Yeah. And he was very nice, you know, and and polite about it. But on the other hand, you know, I, I mean, I think it's probably taxing for a guy like that to be approached a lot. And there was, you know, no shortage of like young guitar players in New York. And I'm <laughs> sure I'm what I wasn't the only one that was doing this to him. But he was polite. But then then he'd. he'd He'd always kind of come around to, yeah, I've got this new recording. I don't know if you've checked it out. I'm not trying to like you know sell you a CD, but you should you know. And he'd kind of <laughs> he'd kind of plant the seed, but uh, always but promoting, always yeah. promoting. Well, which <laughs> yeah. which which is you know the it's thing about it do. is it is what you have to do in mm-hmm. in jazz music. You know, you I think you need to be a self advocate, and e- even in doing that, I still consider that like you know it's pretty modest. You know, it's just trying to, like, you know, expand your listening audience and Mm -hmm. do your best to, like, whatever commercial success you could have. Mm -hmm. So, but that was kind of a recurring theme with Jim, and I'd see him around. And and, and truth be told, every time he would pitch me on a new recording, it's like I already had it, (laughs) you know. So it's like there was a record he made. As a matter of fact, this is a tune that we do all across the city, okay, which is a great tune. And there's an album with the same title that came out mm-hmm. when I was working at Tower, and I have that on vinyl. Oh, nice! You know, so. and it, it's awesome. his composition too. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so what would be close to like, you know, almost 30 years later, now we're playing that tune. Mm-hmm. That means a lot. To me. And nobody plays that tune. Mm-hmm. And 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 really. I would say when I look at the list of tunes that, that are on these two albums, and, and we're doing the music from the two albums, but we're also doing some music that they didn't play together, because my concept of doing shows of, of, er, of earlier musicians is to not have it be a tribute show, even though they're often called tribute shows. Mm-hmm. So what I like to think of them is kind of going back and visiting the music of these folks, but then maybe extrapolating out. So the idea is we do some of the songs they did together, but they only did these two duo recordings, and there's one other recording when they're in a quintet together, but that's it. Mm-hmm. And then Bill dies in 1980, and so and Jim lived a lot longer. They probably would have had more opportunities if Bill lived longer. So we do tunes off the two recordings, but then we also do some tunes that one or the other played independently of the other that would have sounded nice had they done them together. Yeah. So it's a little bit of this is what they did, maybe this is what could have been. Well, and let's talk about, too, the fact that in a, a jazz setting, piano and guitar often have very similar roles. Yeah. And that is one of the other things that makes these two recordings so special in the first place is because you wouldn't expect such wonderful music and you would think well they'd get in each other's way and you know who's supposed to be comping and who's supposed to be and and it's not like that at all they just they were like two puzzle pieces that just fit together perfectly Mm -hmm. I like to think that it was almost like one brain two people Mm. because or you know if you're a Star Trek fan they had the Vulcan mind meld going on or something because I think they were both kind of thinking the same way at the same time 
And it's not like they were playing together all the time, you know, like the Bill Evans trio was, the different trios where they're playing all the time all over the country. They go in the studio, they record, they go back out, and they, they do a tour. These guys weren't doing that. And so they, they did some playing together, but the, it's not like they were playing, you know, 200 dates a year or anything. Right. And so the, I think that even makes it more interesting that they were able to kind of coalesce this way without that kind of um, kind of playing history going on the whole time. And so it, I, I really think of it as just they're almost just like this one person with four hands and <laughs> two are on the piano and two on the guitar. And because that um, it just seems it seems so coordinated and orchestrated, but it's not. It's you know it's spontaneous. It, it's it's right. It's jazz. So it's not highly structured, but it almost seems like there's a level of structure there because they're just so into each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the tunes that you played for us, um, because you played four for us, uh, I think three from the first album, one from the second album. Um, And talk to me a little bit about, you know, clearly when you do gigs, you do way more tunes, but I'm just curious, you know, what, why you, just why you chose these tunes. I love them all so very much, so I can understand, but, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about skating in Central Park, for instance. John Lewis, for one thing, mm-hmm. wonderful pianist from uh, composer, um, mm-hmm. third stream, um, modern jazz quartet fella for right. decades. So, right. um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about skating in Central Park. Okay. Well, uh, like you say, John Lewis, um, a, a truly great composer and band leader. I, uh, uh, you know, kind of as an aside, I, I wasn't in huge modern jazz quartet fan and I saw them in concert over the years maybe half a dozen times including at the Carlisle Hotel on the Upper East Side (laughs) when I lived there yeah which was a great great setting you know and I met John Lewis you know I mean as far as like just shaking his hand and 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 seeing the guys you know Joel knows everybody no I I, (laughs) you know I mean part of the deal actually I, I I met I, I saw the Modern Jazz Quartet here at the Ordway in the mid '80s, and somehow or another, I ended up being able to go into the into uh, the studio and watch them record something mm. of sorts. And uh, so that you know, that's exciting. Anyways, skating in Central Park, a, a, a great waltz, a great um, it, it lives up to its title. You know, they refer to it as like a skater's waltz. And if you watch um, skating, you know, um, that kind of whimsical, just uh, carefree, jovial kind of skater's, you know, movements. And uh, just I picture, uh, like the title says, people outdoors in Central Park enjoying, you know, maybe the winter weather and, and uh, you know, skating uh, um to a waltz uh, tempo, you yeah. know, rhythm. Um, the tune itself, I, uh, I, I think it's a really a lively tune. Um, you know, it's suited perfectly for for Bill and Jim, and I also think um, I think it's it's already been one that Larry and I have kind of like, uh, you know. Um, have really felt comfortable with from the beginning 
you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love playing it. I love where the changes go. And you can, you can, you can have, a, you know, like a contour to that tune, like from the start, where it's more of a gentle kind of waltz and then have it evolve and, and build. And you can take it into more of a kind of a, you know, swinging jazz waltz feel and tempo as, you know, you go through the, the changes and solo and so forth. You know, it's another one I think there's a very, uh, you know, clever and creative ending to that tune. Yeah. There's this tag ending that's almost like another tune that was built on top of this tune. And it is such a cool ending. Now, it's a John Lewis ending or this no. is what Bill Evans no, and Jim Hall did? No, it's a Bill did. Evans and Jim Hall ending. Ah. Yep. And it's, it's, it's like you get done with the tune and you think the tune's done and then it kind of heads off in this other direction, and then you think it's going to be done, it's not quite done, and then you think it's going to be done, and then it's done. And yes. so many bands don't talk about how to end the tune. And you can tell when you're, you're out there watching, and they're getting to the end of tune, uh-huh. everybody's looking at each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to do a tag? We're going to do, do a right. tag where we go up a step? Right. Are we going to end on a flat one major seventh and then resolve down? Are we going to end on a flat one major seventh and not resolve? Uh-huh. Are we going to do a retard? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And part of what these guys did is they had endings to these tunes. There are no fade-outs on this recording. I always thought fade-outs were just like a cop-out. Yep. So you can't figure out how to end the darn tune, so you yeah. fade it out. Yeah. yeah, and and this is probably one of the best endings on the album because it is so thoughtful. It's connected to the tune, but it's different, and it kind of keeps you hanging. And then when it resolves, you get a big smile on your face because you're in a happy place. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say about that tune that's really sweet is uh, one's the writing of it. So the the A section, uh, a lot of times musicians talk about tunes as being kind of broken up into components. So mm-hmm. there might be the A section, maybe do that a couple of times. You do a B section, which is different, then you go back and do the A section again. So the A section is is very pretty and light, and it's very major. Uh, and it has this very whimsical skating kind of feel to it. The B section is darker. It's all minor. It's descending. It modulates three or four times in it. And then when you come back, it's almost like a cloud has come over the skating rink and maybe the wind's picked up and maybe we should bag it for the day. And then the sun comes back out again and you're back at the A section. It's like, no, I think we'll stay out here and skate again. Mm-hmm. And, and so the writing of that is just so interesting. And then the playing of it. So on the recording, Bill starts playing the melody. And Jim, you talked about, you know, do we comp or not? Do we sit out or what? So what Jim does is he just plays single note long tones on kind of the off beats. So Bill's playing this do 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 and Jim's doing this one ba um ba um ba it around a little bit and sometimes it's very tonal and sometimes it's really kind of out there and avant-garde and I can't think of any other recording 
in the history of recording <laughs> where that was done that way. It, it's just, mm-hmm. and, and may, that might have been totally improvised where Jim just started doing it and they just played it. But it was like, and it's the only recording on these two albums that's kind of presented that way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, here are these, it's a really smart tune, a couple of really smart guys doing really kind of uh, unusual things but because it's done kind of lightly, some listeners might not hear the originality because it's not like a bebop tune where it's kind of like beating you over the head with how aggressively athletic it is. Right. This is very intellectually nerdy and emotional music, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's also very um, inventive. And sometimes that can get lost in music that's kind of quiet and subtle. You're listening to Live from Studio One on Jazz 88. I'm Emily Reese. Our guests this week are pianist Larry McDonough and guitarist Joel Shapira. Those two have a show coming up at Black Dog in St. Paul on Saturday, March 9th at 7. And they'll pay tribute to two albums released in the 60s by pianist Bill Evans and guitarist Jim Hall. Here are Larry and Joel playing Skating in Central Park off of the 1962 album from Evans and Hall, called Undercurrent. Thank you. 
pianist Larry McDonough there with Joel Shapira on guitar playing Skating in Central Park. This is Live from Studio One on Jazz 88. I'm Emily Reese. Larry and Joel are paying homage to a couple of albums from the 60s that found uh, pianist Bill Evans playing with guitarist Jim Hall. And Larry and Joel will be playing that tune you just heard and many more coming up the Black Dog in St. Paul on Saturday, March 9th. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about one of the other tracks, Turn Out the Stars. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll start on that one because it's uh, it's a Bill Evans composition. And um, it's one of these tunes that I don't know anybody in the Twin Cities that plays it. Um, it's a ballad, but it's a very challenging ballad. Uh, it's got lots of modulations in it. Uh, it's It's got a very... Bill would write these really interesting melodies that would start on a pitch that is very uncommon. Um, like, you, know, you take a tune like Alice in Wonderland, um, it has a more conventional melody. It starts on a pitch that is much more common for a starting note for a tune. And this one starts in a very unusual place. But it's still a, a beautiful tune. I, I, I hear Bach and Mozart in a tune like this. There are these reoccurring melody fragments that appear and they reappear and they're modulated and they come back and they talk to each other. Um, so the writing is just really interesting. And, and how these two guys approach this tune um, is is just, you know, part of what I tell people about jazz when they say, well, how do you guys know what you're doing when you're doing jazz if it's not all organized? And I said, well, it's kind of like the conversation we're having right now where we're, the three of us are talking, we're all listening to each other. We kind of have a concept, we have a, we have a subject matter, but within that, we're improvising what we're saying based on what the last person said or the last question, but then we take it in another direction and then the next person does. And that's what happens in jazz and the best part is sometimes the best jazz players, you have to be competent on your instrument, but you have to be a good listener. I mean, mm -hmm. and you have to practice listening. You can't just have your hands on the instrument playing. You have to spend time actively listening to other recordings and listening to the people who are playing with you. And I think their version of Turn Out the Stars is just classic listening to each other. Nice. Yeah, I would add to that that, okay, so Turn Out the Stars, you know, kind of a cornerstone Bill Evans composition. This is a tune... I mean, I've heard it and all that, and I've listened to it. I I had never played it, you know. It's it's an involved piece of music. It's kind of I would look at a tune like that as you would kind of have to have a reason or a project to you know play a song like that. Not that not that I wouldn't necessarily want to do it. Just say like on a some kind of jazz gig or restaurant gig or whatever. But it's just more involved than that. Mm -hmm. And plus, you know. Um, Having, I think having the piano on that, I mean, of course, it's it's completely centered around that as a as a you know piano composition, and and that's really very very important. So Larry and I practiced that tune. We practiced it a few times, and uh, I mean, right from the beginning, I feel like once once I had that melody in my ears and all that, and and uh, we had played it a couple times. You know, I was I was really fascinated with the harmony and and um, you know just everything that tune does as far as how he how he 
incorporates like these melodic lines on top of these chords. And again, it's like, you know, we were talking about, you know, real book charts and all that earlier. When you see a tune like that on on the page, and Larry charted this out too, you know, and it's a good chart. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's very detailed compared to what you might just see in 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 the real book. But when you see that on the page, um, even for somebody, you know, I mean, it's reasonable to say that I've I've looked at a lot of music mm-hmm. and played a lot of music. But when you look at this. It's not standard chord changes, and it's not something you can say, okay, this, 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 this mm-hmm. goes here, this goes here. It's intimidating. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, requires, it requires another level of kind of like exploration and figuring out, um, you know, for one thing on the guitar, how I want to voice the chord changes, um, which was a, a, a challenge that, uh, I, I mean, I love doing that kind of stuff. I love taking piano harmony and applying it to the, the guitar. Sure. You know, so... Um, and, and these are tough chord changes. Uh, for, for those of you that are musicians out there, uh, there are very few unaltered chords in this chart. Interesting. So, like, uh, you know, the very first chord is a, is a B minor seventh with a flat fifth, and the melody note is the flat fifth, which, again, very unusual melody note. Mm-hmm. And when you look through the chart... Uh, almost all of them are um, altered. And so not only does it mean you just, you're not just playing like a, a three note C major chord, you're playing, you know, playing an, an E 13th with a flat ninth and a sharp fifth. <laughs> and so you have to think about the inversions, but then when you start improvising, you're not just playing a major scale or a Dorian minor scale. I mean, mm-hmm. all the scales are altered as well. Right. And so when you're playing that E 13th with the flat nine, the sharp fifth, you can't just play an E mixolydian scale. Yeah, you can't ignore the flat nine and the sharp five. Right, gotta, right. Yeah. And so, so these are intellectually kind of challenging. But it, it's easy to think with everything we're saying right now that this would be this kind of mathematically... Um, unemotional piece, <laughs> um, but it is so emotional, and part of it is the complexity of the harmonies and how they resolve and how they don't resolve. It has a very dramatic kind of element, just like if you're watching a story and you're wondering where is it going to go next, and is there going to be a heartbreak here, and is that heartbreak going to resolve or not? You just don't know. This is that Bill Evans tune called Turn Out the Stars, played by pianist Larry McDonough with Joel Shapira on guitar.
That was Larry McDonough on piano with guitarist Joel Shapira playing Turn Out the Stars as part of their tribute to two albums that came out in the 60s by guitarist Jim Hall and pianist Bill Evans. You can hear Larry and Joel play a number of tunes off of those records coming up on Saturday, March 9th at the Black Dog in St. Paul. And we spoke at great length about the importance of the Evans Hall recordings. Uh, Larry and Joel also played two more tunes for us, so you can find the rest of our conversation and more music from Larry and Joel on our website, jazz88.fm. Thank you for listening to Live from Studio One on Jazz 88. I'm Emily Reese. Our producer is Justice Sanchez. Live from Studio One is supported in part by the Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Well, the next two are both standards, then, that you chose. So um, the the performance of My Funny Valentine is unique that those two did for for some... uh, interest they they just took it in an interesting direction so do you want to talk about that yeah um you know talk about a, a standard tune i mean joel and i probably played this tune hundreds of times mm-hmm. and it's almost independent of each other in, indep- all, yeah of yeah course. independent yeah. of each other um and, and maybe even more i mean it's possible i've played that tune a thousand times yeah. right and um it's always done the same way always done the same way and that's that's not a bad thing because people bring their personalities to a tune, and so it's not always done the same, but it's done kind of um, it's kind of set up the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people maybe know it from Chet Baker, know it from other people that either sang it or, d- or done it as an instrumental ballad. Always a ballad, mm-hmm. and so they lead off the very first recording with an up-tempo version of it. And it sounds almost like a bebop tune because it's actually not going that fast. But because everybody always does it as a ballad, it seems like the horses just got out of the barn and they're just running like crazy. (laughs) But when you actually sit down and get the metronome out, it's not going that fast at all. It's just that they chose to do this as a medium swing tune, not even a bebop tune, but a medium swing tune, just gave it a whole different sound. Such a different sound and uh, like vivacity to the tune, right? You know, it, it has all this energy to it, mm-hmm. and and so they get through the the first presentation of the melody, and then Jim starts taking a solo, and you know the 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 classic thing for what the piano player would do at that point on a medium swing tune would be to walk in the left hand, play a walking bass line in the left, and play some chords in the right. So what does Bill do? He he kind of stops playing and he plays this very syncopated percussive block chord thing where it just might be bump, 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 And it propels the swing. You can hear the swing in what he's doing, but he's not doing what he should have done. And it makes it so, later on, I think maybe the third time, maybe the third chorus or something, second chorus, he starts doing a walking line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when that presents, it's like, well, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so really thoughtful um, comping, mm-hmm. not just I'm going to get out of the way and play something supportive. I'm going to play something mm-hmm. supportive that's also really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, gives, it gives the tune, you know, contour again. Yep. I mean, it, and it also gives it like kind of an, element um, element of uh, a- arrangement that may or may not have been thought out in advance like we said before we we, we don't really know I guess right you know mm-hmm. but the thing is um, 
Right. So I mean, if you can, if you can uh, come up with something, all of a sudden, you know, they play the tune already at a you know swing and tempo, which people haven't heard a lot, and and I, and I found it, you know, right by that merit, really engaging. But then, you know, they they build on that element all the time by kind of like doing the unexpected. And uh, that's that's another element that makes those two duo records so outstanding, mm-hmm. you know. And, and again, I just, I think um, there was just a level of musicianship there and, and listening and thoughtfulness that just shines.
about Darn That Dream? Let's talk about that one. Oh, well, a great standard, uh, a great ballad. Um, you know, uh, there's the, the book of, you know, the Great American Songbook is a vast resource with many, 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 many tunes, as we know. And I think that tune, like, holds its own, stands the test of time, is really a great composition. Um, a, you know, really well suited for Bill and Jim. Um, and a tune, you know, I've, I've played that tune a reasonable amount, I guess, over the years. But Larry charted it out, and we have, uh, you know, a, kind of a nice uh, just back and forth with it and uh, a, a tune that I uh, just really enjoy playing, I guess you could say. Yeah, one of the things that they do on this tune is they alternate the melody. So it's, it's a fairly long, um, what musicians will call a head of the tune is a presentation of the melody. And uh, this one is a fairly long head because it's at a ballad pace. So one of the things they did to make it interesting is they divided it up. So, so um, uh, Bill plays the first A, Jim plays the second A, then they go to the B section and they divide the B section in half, and then they do the A section again. And so that so that's probably something they discussed in advance is that let's divide it up this way. Um, but what they do with the tune, it it's. Um, uh, you know, again, a lot of people have played it. It really is a classic tune, and it's it's one of those tunes of of a writer that a lot of people don't remember these days, uh, Jimmy Van Heusen. And, you know, a lot of people that aren't musicians, they know about Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, the Gershwins, you know, Duke Ellington, stuff like that. I think uh, Jimmy Van Heusen's name kind of ends up in the second tier in the yeah. public's consciousness. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about jazzers, if anyone says, you know, let's play a Jimmy Van Heusen tune, man, they're on it because they know it's going to be a smart melody. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting melody. It's going to have really interesting chord changes. And I think that's probably what appealed to... Bill and Jim is when they were taking ballads, they weren't taking ballads that were kind of, um, I don't want to say uninteresting, but they 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 took ballads that were inventive. Um, there isn't a blues tune on this recording, and I like the blues, but the blues are not harmonically, um, intellectually intense tunes. The blues is more about a groove and a vibe and then what you do with that. And some of, a lot of these tunes have a vibe and a groove to them, but they have this kind of intellectual complexity in terms of the harmonic structures that I think was probably, it probably just grabbed each of them right in their souls. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect example of it.
Thank you for listening to Live from Studio One on Jazz 88. I'm Emily Reese. Our producer is Justice Sanchez. Live from Studio One is supported in part by the Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.